here. Our goal here at Covenant Church is to know Jesus and make him known. And we hope that you feel a part of this fantastic community we have at Covenant Church. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben Espinoza. I serve as a pastor here at Covenant Church. And uh, we're going to kick off a new series, Book of Philippians, one of my favorite books of all time of the Bible. Theme is Joy and Chains. And before we get into the sermon, I want you to think about a time in your life when you were the most joyful. I'm talking about having this pure joy in your soul. I'm not talking about this this feeling of being happy and peppy and everything. I'm talking about a feeling of happiness deep within you, that deep gladness. And for me personally, it was the the couple days before I actually got married to my wife, Hannah. All of my good friends from college, from church, people I grew up with, all my loved ones, including the, the loved ones that recently passed away, they were there. It was a joyful time. And, and one of my favorite parts of this was when uh, we would ask for, for something because it was our wedding and we needed different things. And people would just get Hannah and I whatever we wanted. So it was kind of like we were being waited on hand and foot. It was the best. I was joyful. Oh, yeah, and I got married to the love of my life. So that was, uh, that was fantastic, too. Um, but maybe you're like me. And maybe that sense of joy surrounds those big events in your life. Or maybe your joy comes from those simple things in life. uh, Being around a warm fire with your friends or or biting into a Stimmel's donut. Or or hearing Taylor Swift on the radio. (laughs) Not saying that I get joy from that, but I know a lot of you guys do. But is it possible to have that feeling of joy even when things are looking deep, deep, uh, dark, dark and bleak and hopeless. There we go. Can joy exist in those circumstances? I think yes, but where does that joy come from? Today, I want to look at a passage in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, because this is where the Apostle Paul, who spread Christianity across the known world for his day, this is where he puts his joy on display. And he describes his joy despite his darkest and most bleakest circumstances. So if you have your copy of God's word in front of you, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul writes this. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up for me trouble while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, help us to understand and know the truths that you've written in your word here. Use these truths to transform our minds and our eyes and our hearts, Lord, more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So before we get into the text here, let me say a couple words about the book of Philippians, since we'll be spending a few weeks here. The author of Philippians is the Apostle Paul, and and scholars don't debate this fact. It was written by Paul, and everyone agrees on that. 
on that fact. And this epistle, or or commonly known as a letter, was written most likely between the mid-50s and the early 60s. Not 1950s, not 1960s, but like 50s A.D., 60s A.D. But we don't know exactly where Paul wrote the epistle from. Some say it was from Rome. Some people believe it was in the Greek city of Ephesus. Some people believe it was in another city called Caesarea. But everyone agrees on is that wherever it was written, whenever it was written... It was written from a jail cell. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might think to yourself, jail? Why would a letter written from a convict in a maximum security prison in ancient Rome be in the Bible? Why? Well, we don't know exactly why Paul was in prison, but it was probably because he was teaching others about Jesus, which was illegal in the Roman Empire in those days. In those days, you either worshipped the Roman gods or you worship the emperor. And for Paul to preach the good news that Jesus is God to the exclusion of the other deities, he was disobeying the law, plain and simple. So this letter was written from a jail cell in 60 AD in a place that we don't even know. Now let me say a few words about the Philippian church, all right? They were the first church that Paul ever founded. And as such, they held a special place in Paul's heart. And you see throughout the letter, Paul talks about his affectionate relationship with the Philippians. How much he loves them and longs to see them. And how generous of a church they truly were. He puts his pastoral heart on display in the book of Philippians. And the Philippians were, you know, for the most part, they were a pretty solid Christ-centered church. The letter talks about some people who were were kind of contentious and mean-spirited, wanted to uh, cause trouble. But for the most part, they were a solid Christ-centered group of believers. And this letter basically functions as a big thank you note. You see, in those days, they didn't have those little thank you notes that you hand write to people. If you wrote a thank you note, it means you were going to write a very long note because they didn't have smartphones or the internet back then. If you're going to write something down and you're going to ship it off thousands upon thousands of miles, then you're probably going to want to say a lot of things. And that's what Paul does in this letter. He says a lot. And Paul thanks these Philippians for a dude named Epaphroditus. You should name your kid that. And the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to help Paul with his ministry. But Epaphroditus, he caught a bad cold and he fell ill and he nearly died. But the Lord spared his life. And Paul wanted to thank the Philippians for sending this devoted servant of God to him. But not only this, the Philippians were some of Paul's greatest financial supporters for his ministry. And Paul wanted to express his thanks to them once more. Now imagine getting a support letter from a missionary you support. And they basically say, hey guys, thanks for the money. I'm in jail now. That probably wouldn't go over well, would it? So this letter, it functions as a big thank you note. And this is kind of an update of what's going on in Paul's ministry. And one of the major themes of the book of Philippians is the theme of joy in Christ. Yes, there's a lot of other themes that are going on in the text here. But the overarching theme is joy. And when I say joy, I don't mean this is a peppy, kind of carefree kind of book. But what I do mean is that Paul shows us his heart filled with gladness for so many things. He's happy, but not just on the surface. In his heart, he's happy and he's joy-filled. Now think of these circumstances, okay? You're in jail, most likely awaiting your execution, which back in those days was pretty rough. You probably won't see your friends or your family ever again. But Paul, despite these circumstances, 
is filled with joy. And nowhere do we see his joyful spirit on display than in the first chapter of Philippians. And Paul begins his letter by saying that he always prays for the Philippians because they've been his partners in the gospel for many years. And Paul is confident that God will continue to bless them and their ministry. He says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Meaning that, hey, if you're in Jesus, you're going to keep maturing and you're going to keep growing in him. And Paul says that his prayer for the Philippian church is this, that they abound in love and in knowledge and in understanding so that they'll be blameless before God and full of spiritual fruit on the day when Jesus comes back to earth and establishes his millennial reign. And that takes us to the passage we just read, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul says, look, this thing that usually keeps people back, that impedes human effort, you know, prison, it's actually helping my cause. And this comes as a shock to Paul because the Greek word that Paul uses when he says actually, it actually means this comes as a surprise to me. So his being in prison isn't the death sentence that he thought it would be. And he, and he moves on to say how his imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. He says this, as a result, because of being in jail, it has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So you read this as a, as a first century Christian and you're like, whoa, you know, this gospel thing, it works. And, and the whole palace guard knows the gospel now. And it doesn't say that Paul's led people to the Lord. But it does say that they do know that Paul is in chains for Christ. And when he says he's in chains for Christ, he means that he's been imprisoned for his faith. Now, if you're a guard in the palace in the Roman Empire, you'd either think that Paul was nuts for believing in this Jesus dude... Or you think because of Paul's joy and because of his witness to the others that maybe there's some merit to this Christianity thing. And Paul goes on to say that because of his chains, because of his example, more and more brothers and sisters in Christ are sharing their faith and preaching the gospel without fear. Why is this happening? It's happening because the Christians in Paul's day are starting to realize that it doesn't matter where you're at. You could be in a prison. You could be on Mars Hill in Athens. You could be at the grocery store. The, go- the gospel can and will spread. And what people probably thought back then was that, was that if you were sent to prison, that was probably an evangelistic death sentence. If you went to prison, that meant the progress of the gospel would be hindered. But what people realized was that Paul's experience is that being in prison is actually moving the gospel forward. The good news just can't be snuffed out. It's way too powerful to die. And this is a truth that has been realized in great movements of the gospel throughout history. Think of the persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire. Think of how deep and intense it was. But recall how quickly the gospel spread. Think of the intense persecution of Christians during the Spanish Inquisition, and yet the gospel spread like wildfire across Europe. And think of how millions and millions of Christians in the Middle East and in China, 
who meet underground for fear of being executed for their faith, meeting on a regular basis, how the gospel is just spreading like wildfire across that whole region. And right here in our passage, Paul describes that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, it can and it will have some kind of effect on its hearers. And Paul is joyful as a result. So the gospel is being proclaimed in his prison, and it's encouraging other people to step up and put their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. But Paul goes on to say something a little trickier, a little more awkward. He says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm here in prison. So Paul is pointing out a rather interesting phenomenon here, okay? He's saying there are some people who would preach the gospel for personal gain. These are the same people who were encouraged by Paul's imprisonment to preach the gospel. And yet they're doing so out of selfish ambition to stir up trouble for Paul. So the question becomes, you know, A, who are these people? And B, how can you possibly preach Christ out of selfish ambition? Well, first off, Paul doesn't say, like, very much about these people. So I don't want to read too much into it, right? But I will say this. Some have interpreted Paul as saying that these were people who were preaching a a false gospel and twisting the words of Christ. But Paul says that they're preaching Christ, so it can't be those kinds of people. And others will say that these are Judaizers, those Jewish Christians who insist that the Gentile Christians follow all Jewish customs like circumcision and abstaining from eating certain foods. But these Judaizers don't really fit the description either. Paul's enemies were probably ordinary Christians, preachers, who were competing with Paul for influence and power and wanted to steal away some of the sheep under Paul's care for selfish gain. You know, so say, for instance, you know, I'm a pastor here at Covenant. Now, say that a pastor at an equally good Christ-honoring church down the road says to himself, you know, I'm going to try and steal away some of those Covenant people uh, from Ben because I hate the way he dresses Or uh, they have fantastic volunteers. we got to get some of those, all right? That's the kind of selfish ambition that Paul's talking about here. But say that, that I get thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. Well, this pastor at this other fantastic church will probably spin the news and say, Hey, look at Ben getting in trouble with the authorities. Covenant people, you don't want that in a pastor. Come to me. Those are the kinds of people that Paul is dealing with here. So Paul has his supporters, and they're championing him as he's in jail. But others are lambasting him because of his success and because they don't think he has the proper qualifications to be an apostle. And that's the theme of 2 Corinthians, if you want to check that out. But what Paul says next here is is the real kicker, and, and it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to our human ears. He says, what does it matter? Who cares? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or from true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. So that pastor who's poaching people here from covenant, he's got some bad motives, but you know what? He's preaching the gospel and we should be okay with that. And that's exactly what Paul is saying right here. It doesn't matter what their motives are because the gospel is reaching people. 
For Paul, this is all that matters. And this is why he rejoices. In Acts chapter 20, Paul, you see Paul, he's addressing a group of elders from the church in Ephesus. And it's kind of a farewell speech. You know, he's about to go to Jerusalem and he knows that it's going to be tough. But listen to what he says. Listen to the singleness of purpose that he has. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. The thing that drives Paul in everything he does is the gospel and seeing the gospel get out into the world. He says, my life means nothing to me unless I can see the gospel move from my heart and into the world around me. And not only this, he says that this is a task that's been handed to him from the Lord Jesus himself, meaning this is a mission from the Almighty God. And you see that the gospel is what drives and informs Paul, and that's what he's passionate about. Paul doesn't care how the gospel gets out. His only task is to get the gospel out there. He doesn't care about the motives behind people who are preaching the gospel. All he cares about is the fact that the gospel is changing people's lives. Now, I want to be very clear here about the gospel, all right? I've said it before, but I think it really bears mentioning again, all right? The good news of the gospel is this, that the God of the universe is restoring and redeeming human beings and all of creation back to himself through the work of Jesus Christ. It is this life-changing truth that Paul is passionate about. It's what drives him, and it's what gives him his joy above all. Why? Because with the gospel, lives are changed. Relationships are healed. We're empowered by God's Holy Spirit, and we're put back into relationship with the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God of the universe. And this is what drives Paul. It is the truth that God is on a rescue mission for all of creation. And he's accomplishing it through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrated last weekend. Now, now recall to your minds the, the context of this passage here in Philippians. Paul thanks the Philippians for sending Epaphroditus and for sending a lot of money to him. And yet he's in a dirty, dingy jail cell a dungeon in the ancient Roman Empire. And jail cells back then weren't the most sanitary, and guards would brutally abuse and mistreat their prisoners. And yet Paul has this joy-filled, optimistic attitude. Why? Because the gospel is spreading like wildfire. wildfire. And people are preaching the gospel, even if their motives are impure. So, so how do we bridge this passage into our context? What does it mean for all of us here today at Covenant Church? Well, well, the first thing I want to say is this, that the gospel is the source of our deep joy. I think a lot of times in the church, well, we're always looking for something that will reinvigorate our life with God. We're, we're always looking for a new paradigm for spiritual growth, or we're looking for a, a new preacher we can listen to, or a book we can read, or an idea that we can cling to that gives us that divine spark and challenges us to walk in our faith. 
But the thing is that the gospel is the eternal idea that challenges and changes people throughout history. Now, I want you to look at the way I define the gospel. It's, it's the fact that God of the universe is restoring and redeeming all human beings and all of creation back to himself through Jesus Christ. You can spend lifetimes fleshing this idea out. And great men and women throughout history have spilt blood, sweat, and tears in helping people understand and grasp this deep truth and allow it to change their lives. People have been given their lives in pursuit of the truth. People have given their lives. Why? Because it's the truth and it changes people. The good news of the gospel is that your life is being changed more and more and more so that it looks more like Jesus. The good news of the gospel is that this world doesn't have to stay broken. The good news of the gospel is that you have peace within your soul for once. And the good news of the gospel is that the God of the universe loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And that's what drove Paul to have joy, despite the fact that he was locked up in a dirty dungeon in the ancient Roman Empire. Because not only was the gospel bringing him joy, the gospel was bringing other people joy and hope too. Imagine loving something so much that when your enemies say they love the same thing, you rejoice. And that brings me to my next point. No matter what you do or whatever happens, the gospel can't be contained. All right? The ancient Romans thought, hmm... You know, let's lock this dude up. He's kind of crazy. And hopefully this idea of the gospel will be put to rest once and for all. And you know what? The opposite happened. The gospel kept spreading across the Roman Empire in your, fe- in your face, Nero. And the gospel, it's like this, this wild eternal fire that moves and it spreads. And for some reason, our inclination is to pour gasoline on it in hopes that it'll stop spreading. It doesn't make sense. That's pretty counterintuitive, right? You look at those believers in in China, one of the most religiously hostile nations on earth. Look at how those believers are spreading the gospel and reaching lost souls in one of the darkest countries on the planet. The gospel simply can't be contained. There's this movie I like. It's called uh, V for Vendetta. I don't know if, if all of you guys have watched it, but it's a pretty good movie. And the premise is that there's this man that was experimented on in a, in a torturous way during a fictional contemporary war. And he returns and basically tries to like overthrow the totalitarian British Empire by getting the British people to uprise and take over the government. You really have to watch the movie, right? And, and there's this man, the main character named, named V. He wears this, it's called a Guy Fox mask. You can Google it, but not right now. And... Uh, There's a scene where he's in this final battle with some of the top-level bureaucrats and their henchmen. And he gets into this huge fight, and and V takes them all down. It's it's really well choreographed. And finally, his main enemy comes out, takes a gun, and starts shooting at him prolifically. And says, why won't you just die? And he says this, V says this, Beneath this mask there is more than flesh. Beneath this mask there is an idea. And ideas are bulletproof. And later in the movie, there's this young woman named Evie who who V has a special relationship with. She, She says this, We're told to remember the idea, not the man, because man can fail. He can be caught. He can be killed and forgotten. But 400 years later, 
An idea can still change the world. The thing about this is that as Christians, we don't forget the man because the man still lives today. And he's not just some good idea. He's actively moving in the world and changing people's lives. As Christians, we're not devoted to an idea. We're devoted to Jesus Christ, who is God. And the gospel just isn't a good idea. It's not just good advice. It is the truth. It is good news. And it's not going away. God will use whatever means to accomplish his goal of redeeming this world, even if it means using people with evil motives. And Paul recognized this, and he went to jail, and he was eventually beheaded for trying to share this good news. The final thing I want to share with you this is that the real kicker here is that the gospel is our gift to share no matter where we are. Paul shared the good news when he was in jail, an environment absolutely oppressive to the gospel. And I think sometimes when we talk about sharing the gospel, we get really, really excited and overjoyed, but then we get scared for some reason. Either we're afraid of embarrassment or losing the favor of our friends and families and coworkers. But the thing about the gospel is that it is the hope for a dying and broken world. It is the only solution for all the problems that we see in this world. All the hate, all the war, all the prejudice, all the death. The gospel heals and restores everything. It has implications for every single thing that we do. And you know what? When I say that it is our gift to share, I'm not saying, you know, buy a few tracts and, and leave them with the tip on a, on, at a restaurant on a table. I'm not saying you have to go door-to-door Jehovah's Witnesses style and, and, uh, and give people tracts or anything. All I'm saying is that our lives should look a lot different than everyone else's because we have the hope of the gospel and the gospel is our source of true joy. Jesus said, let your light so shine before everybody so they can see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. And that's why Paul, toward the end of this chapter, he says, live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here and, and we're going to sing a few more worship songs. And, and I'm going to challenge you to reflect on where your true joy comes from. Because if it's anything other than Jesus Christ, then we have some repenting and, for, and asking for forgiveness to do. But if Jesus is truly our hope and our joy, then let's share it with the world. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't believe that he's the son of God and that he's saving you from death, then let's chat more afterwards because you're missing out on the joys of being a follower of Jesus. And let me invite, invite everyone here. If you want to talk about this passage or whatever afterwards, catch me afterwards and we'll have a good talk about it. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ gives us abundant joy, even if we're in chains. Let's pray.